0: You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. A pilot is bringing in an airplane for a landing, and you are on that plane. Is it important that the pilot get that landing right? Are there consequences if that pilot does it wrong? A surgeon is doing open-heart surgery on you. Is it important for that surgeon to get it right? Are there consequences for you if they get it wrong? A church you attend preaches and teaches a gospel message. Is it important that they get this gospel message right? Are there consequences if they get it wrong? Let's say that the church you attend does preach a biblical gospel message. Is it important that you respond personally in repentance and faith to that message? Are there consequences for you if you don't? And let's say that you have, at some point, responded in repentance and faith to the biblical message that Christ died for your sins. Is it important for you to continue in that biblical gospel message? Are there consequences if you don't? Today we are beginning a new series in the New Testament book of Galatians, Galatians, It's Paul's letter to a group of churches, not just one church, but a group of churches in a province known as Galatia, the Roman province of Galatia. We now know it as the country of Turkey, the country of Turkey. And although technically Paul is writing a letter to a group of churches a long time ago in a faraway place, we know because of the inspiration of Scripture and because this is God's word to all churches everywhere for all times that he is addressing this letter to us here at Red Sea also. Paul has planted a number of churches throughout the region, especially in Galatia. He did it very quickly. He planted churches in towns, and then he moved on to plant other churches in other towns, and then he eventually left Galatia to go to other places to plant churches. But apparently, he wasn't gone very long before news reached him that there was trouble in the Galatian churches that some false teachers had come in and they were teaching both a different gospel than Paul and his companions and preached, and they were also at the same time trying to undermine Paul's credibility. And these false teachers were gaining some traction in these churches, much to Paul and his companions' dismay. And as a result, a significant number of the Christians were being persuaded to abandon the biblical message of the gospel that Paul and his companions had preached to them, and they were turning to what Paul calls a different gospel. Paul and his companions understood this was no little thing. Believing in a different gospel and trying to live according to a different gospel has harmful consequences, even eternal consequences. The threat of people hearing and believing and holding to a non-biblical gospel was very much a threat in Paul's day, but I think it's probably even a greater threat in our day for a number of reasons, but a primarily, primarily is because of the ubiquitous sources of information available to us today. Uh, audio and visual and magazines and podcasts and all Internet, Google, all that stuff gives us exposure to things that call themselves gospel that really, really are not. Paul would never, and his companions Peter, would never have recognized it as the biblical gospel. We, we, in our day and age, have false news as highlighted as manipulative and harmful. That's true, it is. But a false and different kind of gospel is eternally destructive, eternally manipulative. We need to pause for a moment here to make sure we're talking about the same thing. We need to be clear about something. Many people mistakenly think that the gospel message is, is primarily for non-Christians. That it's the message that we tell people who don't know Christ, who are not Christians, we give that to them so that they can, quote-unquote, be saved. And, by the way, that's true, and for what it is. Or we could say it in a more sarcastic way, it's the message they need to believe so they can get their ticket punched so they can go to heaven, right? But that's not all the gospel's for. It is true that those things people need to believe the gospel to get right with God eternally, but it's also for, for us to continue to believe. Paul wrote his letter to the churches in Galatia, to the Christians in Galatia. He's addressing Christians who have at one time heard and apparently believed the gospel message that he preached, but now we're turning to something different, and he is very concerned about it. He's very urgently and forcefully addressing those Christians in this letter. His concern is that they not only believe the right gospel initially, but they live in step with the truth of that gospel, as he'll point out later in his letter. The biblical gospel message is something that we just keep on believing. The overarching theme of Galatians is freedom. We're we're going to just say it's freedom. It's freedom. The gospel message is both free and it's freeing. It's free and it's freeing. The preachers, some preachers have called Paul's letter to the Galatians the Declaration of Independence for Christians. Others have called it the Magna Carta of Christian freedom. We learn about the gospel, but we also learn about the freedom, the freeness, and the freeing of the gospel to us. Will you please stand with me as we read Galatians 1, 1 through 9? Galatians 1, 1 through 9. And I've asked Monica to read it for us
1: Paul, an apostle a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed.
0: Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts, our minds. Uh, help us not to be cluttered with the busyness of life, but let us, through the power and enabling of your Holy Spirit, hear what you would have to say to each and every one of us here today. We thank you in your precious and glorious name. Amen. You may be seated. As, as Just with a quick reading of those verses... Just with a quick reading of those verses, Paul begins his letter with a confrontational punch. He comes right out to shoot. No warm and fuzzies. No casual greeting. He does not list the number of things he's thankful to God for like he does to the Ephesians and the Colossians. Philippians and the Colossians, and even in the first Corinthian church. Here, no thanksgiving. He gets right to the point. It's sort of like a, a parent's in the front yard, and they look over and they see their young child in the road with busy traffic. They, they don't sit and discuss it. They don't thank God for their child. They run to that child, and they urgently cry for that child to stop and come back off the road. That's what Paul's doing. That's the tone that Paul begins his letter of, of, of Galatians. He begins by warning them. That there are dire consequences if they continue doing what they are doing. And here's my summary of his, the main point of this section, this passage, these nine verses. Every Christian must hold firmly to the biblical gospel because there are three catastrophic consequences of turning away from it. These verses we'll see today that every Christian must hold firmly to the biblical gospel because there are three catastrophic consequences. Of turning away from it. Let's look at the first one. The first consequence. Of turning away from the biblical gospel. When You turn away from the biblical gospel. You turn away from the God Who sent Christ. When You turn away from the biblical gospel. You turn away. From the God. Who sent Christ. Where do I get that? In a couple of different places, all throughout this, actually. Verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not of men nor of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is an apostle, a messenger, sent by God himself with a message from God himself, a specific message about Jesus and the resurrection and all that God has done in and through that resurrection. We also see in verse 3 that great, he says, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The benefits that we receive from the gospel come from God. Not just Paul, not other men, but from God himself. Or verse 4, he says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from His present evil age according to the will of God, our, God and Father. Christ's work in the cross was God's idea. It's not something that we would have come up with. And it is the fulfillment of God's plan and his promises and his purposes, not ours. And in verse 5, he says, To whom be glory forever, ever, amen. For eternity, God will be getting the due recognition for what he has done in the gospel and through the gospel. All that is pointed throughout there that God is the source of the gospel and God is the supplier of the benefits that come through the gospel for anyone who turns to and believes. Therefore, how we treat the gospel message is how we treat God Himself. How we treat the gospel message is how we treat God Himself. Here's a little analogy to help us understand it. It's not that complicated. As you might know, we live with our son Jordan, his wife Carly, and the three sons Carter, Jesse, and Zach. Let's say that Carly, which happens so frequently, Carly's in cooking dinner for, their, for them, and she's in there, and it's dinner time. So Zach's in with her, and, and Jesse and Carter are out on the trampoline, bouncing away, and she sends Zach out to them and says, Zach, tell your brothers that I cooked dinner, it's ready, they need to stop on the trampoline, come in, wash their hands, and sit down on the table, and they need to do it now. This is only hypothetical, of course. So Zach dutifully goes out and delivers that message word for word. He has lots of practice. He can do it word for word. But let's say Carter, Carter decides, you know what, I like jumping on the trampoline. I'm going to keep jumping on the trampoline. And with Jesse, though, immediately gets off the trampoline and heads towards the home, but then he sees his bicycle and decides to do a few laps around the yard first. Again, just is hypothetically speaking. And he's going around the yard. Now, this is a simple thing. Who are Carter and Jesse ignoring and disobeying? Zach or Carly? Zach or Carly? Well, obviously, Carly, the mom. She's the source of the message. She's the one who said this is what the situation is. Zach is just simply the carrier. He's simply the messenger. The consequences of disobeying aren't because they disobeyed Zach. It's because they disobeyed mom right? We understand that. In the same way, when someone ignores and turns away from the biblical gospel message that a messenger is saying, whether it's Paul in this letter, or whether it's us preachers preaching on Sunday, or somebody in a book, doesn't make a difference. When we are the messengers of that gospel, and it is ignored, it is rejected, you're not rejecting us. You're not rejecting Paul. You're rejecting the God whose message we are preaching. Paul even makes it explicit in verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see that? You are deserting Him. You're not just, just deserting the gospel. You're deserting Him, God the Father, who called you in Christ. The word deserting there means to turn away from. You once were facing it, now you're leaving it. It's turning your backs on something. It means to transfer your allegiance. It's more than just changing direction. It's meaning, I don't want that anymore, I want this. It's used of soldiers who become traitors and fight for the other side. That's a deserter. That's what he's saying here. It is not just that they were turning away from a specific set of beliefs. That's not Paul's point. There is a different gospel they're believing, in, and that's a problem. But his primary concern right out the chute is that they are turning their backs on God Himself when they believe a different gospel. When a person turns and listens to this, this is for gospel, he's turning from God. Do you think there may be consequences for deserting God? For deserting God? Maybe catastrophic consequences? We need to go on to the second point here, when every Christian must hold firmly to the biblical gospel because of three catastrophic consequences of turning away from it. The first one was when you turn away from you turn by turning away from the gospel, you turn away from God. But the second one is similar. When you turn away from the biblical gospel, you turn away from the grace provided in Christ. The grace provided in Christ. Verse 3 says, "Grace to you, it's directional, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is the source of the grace that's provided to us. But let's look at verse 6 again. Let's look at verse 6 back up there again. I am astonished, I am shocked, Paul's saying, that you have so quickly turned, deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Grace that is in Christ is the means by which God brings us to himself. Like this Pastor Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. If you have been attending a church for very long, I'm sure you're familiar with the word grace. I'm sure you're familiar. You don't even just have to be here at Red Sea. It's a popular, it's a good word. But it's a misunderstood word. Grace is often defined as unmerited favor. Have you ever heard it defined that way? Unmerited favor. I think I've actually defined it from up here that way. And you know what? It is unmerited favor. It is, that's true. It is unmerited favor. But just saying that grace is unmerited favor is lacking in the scope and the intensity of the word. Let me... Um, um, The biblical understanding of grace is much more than simply undeserved favor. Grace is the expression of God's loving kindness and His eternal generosity to those who rightly deserve the opposite. That's not just undeserved favor. It's His immense loving kindness. His eternal generosity to those who not only don't deserve it, but they deserve the opposite. I've heard it explained this way, the nuances of this. It says this, if, if we limit our thinking to grace as just being unmerited favor, then it's like me walking up to a homeless person and handing them $20. Is that grace? Is that unmerited favor? Sure it is. Sure it is. And, and they have received unmerited favor. But is that all God's grace is? Like handing a homeless person 20 bucks? To the homeless person, it's a lot. But is that what is mean by grace? It might be true that it's unmerited favor, but you know what? It's not amazing. It's not amazing. See, the grace of the gospel is that God loves those who are his rebellious enemies. And that this love is not just God's attitude toward them, but that is also His actions that He takes on their behalf. The grace of the Gospel is that God shows His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. After describing in the book of Ephesians, Paul said after describing how people were slavishly following the world, the devil, and their own passions, he says, but God but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable, it cannot be measured, it's so big, the immeasurable riches of His Grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That is mind-boggling if you really dwell there for a while. Grace is more than just unmerited favor. It's getting life instead of death. It is being raised to a heavenly status of adopted children when once we were rebellious uh, uh, enemies of God. It is forever experiencing the immeasurable mercy and kindness that He lavishes upon us. Grace is the relational connection point for how we know and experience the great love with which He loved us. Not hypothetically, but really. And not just in heaven, but now. Now that's amazing grace. You know the hymn Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a what? Wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was what? Blind, but now I see. That's why it's amazing grace. Paul wants us to be clear. When we turn away from the biblical gospel, we turn away from the grace provided in Christ. Do you think there are any consequences from turning away from God's grace provided for us in Christ? Could they actually be catastrophic consequences? We need to move on. Every Christian must hold firmly to the biblical gospel because of three catastrophic consequences of turning away from it. If you turn away from it, the gospel, you turn away from God who sent Christ. You turn away from the grace provided in Christ. But when you turn away from the biblical gospel, You turn away from the deliverance achieved by Christ. You turn away from the deliverance achieved by Christ. In the main section there of 3-5, Paul says this, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a mouthful there again. These three verses are a great summary of the heart of the biblical gospel. It's not all of it there is, but this is a great summary of the heart. He begins his letter. Let's make sure we're clear on the heart of the gospel. He says, what do these verses tell us? First of all, it tells us who we are. We are sinners who are helpless and in need of deliverance. Who are completely unable to rescue ourselves. He tells us that what Jesus did, he gave himself for our sins. Clear as day. He substituted himself for us and died in our place. The fancy theological term for this is, penal substitutionary atonement. It's a huge deal. It's denied all over the place in our culture, especially in churches. Christ didn't come to die for people's sins. He didn't come to pay the price for me. God loves me and he's okay with that. That's not what Paul's saying here is the biblical gospel. Paul said to the Corinthians, for our sake the father made Jesus to be sin and even though he didn't know any sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God now, let me rephrase that he says when people are sinners guilty before the perfect God and deserving his wrath but when Jesus died on the cross God did a great switch the great transfer he transferred the guilt of our sin to Christ and he transferred Christ's righteousness his right standing before the father to us That's quite a deal, by the way. Jesus delivers us from guilt and shame and fear that dominate our lives in this present evil age. It also tells us, these couple verses, tells us that the outcome of Jesus' substitution... The outcome for us of Jesus' substitution and for God. He says, we get grace and peace provided to us by Christ. God gets glory forever and ever. We are the joyful benefactors, beneficiaries I should say. We are the joyous beneficiaries and God is the glorious benefactor. Let's not confuse those two. Now let's, let's focus on the first part of verse 4. a second. Can we put verse 4 back up there? who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. I think we need to be clear here again. We need to make sure we understand what He's saying here. The biblical gospel is not instructions on how to escape the present evil age. The biblical gospel is not instructions on how to escape the present evil age age. Rather, it's an announcement that we have been delivered from the present evil age. When we think of it as escaping, we emphasize what we do to place ourselves out of harm's way, right? We love guys like Houdini who are in unimaginable predicaments and they get themselves out. We like our movies when our hero, the guy we're rooting for, in the last seconds of the thing breaks free and, and is his cunning or his effort gets free from the bad guy. That's why he's the hero. And sometimes the gospel is communicated that way and sometimes we believe it that way. Here's an analogy of somebody who is drowning. Somebody's out there that's drowning and we're on the shore and we want to share the gospel message of not drowning with them. We say, hey, hey, drowning person, hey, yo, hey, over here, yeah. What you need to do is to start to swim. What you need, like this, look at me, like this, swim. That will solve your problems, right? Or or in our day and age, hey, drowning person, you got your phone with you? Because they probably do. You got your phone with you? Google drowning, okay? If you do, you'll get 1,457,512 hits, and you know it's not a good thing. You shouldn't do that. Or the one that I probably would do, I lean towards naturally. Hey, drowning person, I have here a 12-step process for not drowning. Okay? I'm going to throw it to you. Don't worry, it's laminated. It's laminated. It's not going to get all wet. Here's the thing. Follow the steps, but you must do them in order. (laughs) Don't skip a step. Are any of those the Gospel? No! Any of these are are just a lie. They sound like what we want to do. They sound sometimes, if we break down what we say sometimes, that's what we say. How about this? Hey, drowning person, a lifeguard is next to you. When he grabs you, don't fight. We think that the Gospel is instructions to help people escape. It's not. They need to be rescued. They need to be delivered. When we tell people that they can escape, who gets the credit? The person escaping. Houdini? Yay, Houdini! Yay, movie hero! Yay, us! Because we escaped from the present evil age. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel does not lead us to cheer ourselves or any other person. It leads us to praise God and Christ who alone delivers us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for, the, the, for us to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom in glory forever and ever. Amen. Does it matter if we get the gospel right and whether people hear what Christ achieved for us? Are there consequences for getting that wrong? Every Christian must hold firmly to the biblical gospel because there are three catastrophic consequences. When we turn away from the biblical gospel, you turn away from the God who sent Christ. When you turn away from the biblical gospel, you turn away from the grace provided in Christ. When you turn away from the biblical gospel, you turn away from the deliverance achieved by Christ. Are these really catastrophic consequences? Aren't you being a little dramatic, Royce? How serious is this? Well, I thank Paul. He doesn't leave us in doubt. Let's look at verse... I'll read to you verses 8 and 9. This is how he enters this section. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary, different from the one that you preach to you, that we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word means eternally condemned. May he he or she roast in hell. It's not a little for a guy who preaches the gospel. That's not a little statement. And he goes on in verse 9, As we said to you before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. A couple quick observations about these verses. First, notice that Paul includes himself and his companions in the warning. Right? Even if we change our minds and come back with a different message, don't believe it. Nobody is exempt from this. Not even, the Paul, not even the apostles themselves. In fact, a little later in Galatians, we're going to see where Paul confronts an apostle, a fellow apostle, on his preaching of the gospel. Second observation of these verses, and the one that I find a bit alarming. Paul is apparently not telling the churches of Galatia anything that he hasn't already told them before. That's the part that catches me off guard. This isn't news to them. He says in verse 9, As we have said before, and so I now say again, if anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. What that means is, he told them this before, and yet to Paul's astonishment, they very quickly turned away to a different gospel and away from the biblical gospel. This simple fact should cause us to pause about our lives. And cause us to be vigilant, both as a church and as Christians. If they were so quickly turned away from the preaching of Paul himself, how precarious sometimes are we if we're not vigilant? And that's what Paul's going to address in the book of Galatians. In the beginning of the sermon, I asked a question. Uh, you are, are A church you attend pre- preaches and teaches a gospel message. Is it important they get this gospel message right? are are there consequences for them getting it wrong? Last week, for those of you who are here, we revisited our, um, we reviewed, I should say, our church covenant, the 12 points. Does anybody remember what the very first point is that we all agree to affirm to be true and we hold to? Scripture alone is the foundation for faith and practice. And it teaches that we are saved through the saving work of Jesus Christ alone, not by our own righteousness, by grace alone, not by our own merit, through faith alone, not by our own er- effort, all for the glory of God alone. The very first thing we agree to to be members of this church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The rest of it is just an expression, an outworking of those. that one bullet. We are committed to that. Red Sea was founded on proclaiming the biblical gospel message, and we as elders are doing our best to both be vigilant and clear in our preaching and teaching of the biblical gospel message. Our polity, the way we're organized here at Red Sea, is just simply four words. Elder-led, congregationally-affirmed. Elder-led, congregationally-affirmed. The elders lead, we work through things, but the congregation has responsibility, which means that you as part of the congregation of Red Sea, have the responsibility to affirm the gospel message that we preach and hold us accountable to make sure we're preaching it. I encourage you as an elder. I charge you as an elder. Hold us accountable. Josh, Chris, and I, and anybody else who's up here preaching to the gospel of Christ. We might not say it the same way every time, we might not use that, the first bullet, but the essence of what we want to communicate is the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. You, We encourage you, we charge you to hold us accountable to that. I also began with a couple other questions. Let's say that you attend a church that does preach a biblical gospel message. Is it important for you to personally respond to it in repentance and faith? Are there consequences if you don't? Grace and peace... Are available to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Him for our sins and delivered us from this present evil age. If you don't know that, we want to talk to you about it. Talk to an elder, talk to a home community leader, talk to a friend, but don't just let it go. Even if you've heard those words before, but you're not sure what to do with those or how to respond, talk to us. De- Jesus delivers, it doesn't help, doesn't give advice does not teach us to escape. He delivers us from the guilt and shame and fear that dominate our lives in this present evil age. If you're not sure of that, talk to us. I also ask this: Let's say that you are, at the some point you have at some point responded to the repentance and faith of the biblical gospel. Is it important for you to continue holding on to that gospel message? Are there consequences for you if you don't hold on to that, con- that message? Responding to the biblical gospel and repentance in faith is essential. But as Paul is going to unpack in the book of Galatians, so is living in step with the truth of that biblical gospel. He doesn't want us to go to the right or to the left. He wants us to stay on the biblical gospel. He's going to unpack what that looks like. He's going to help us do that through the enabling and power of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian then we urge you to be mindful of the Gospel. Don't just treat it like the word grace or Gospel, like you're familiar with it. I know, I got that. Spend some time thinking about it as we go through this series. And we invite you to be a part of this. I now want to invite you to take communion. And I'm going to read a verse here, the summary of the Gospel that Paul put in this passage that he does to make sure we're sure about. It's up there on both communion tables. I'm going to ask that you take communion today, that you... If you have responded to the gospel message that Christ died for your sins, He's delivered you from your sins. If you have, are walking with Christ, then we invite you to come up with yourself, with family, friends, whoever. Come up, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or blood, and celebrate. Receive a blessing of the uh, means of grace of, of that. But to do that, not to do that. When up there is these verses, and I want to re- close by reading them to you. Hear a summary of the gospel. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more
1: audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at